0: Uh, We're going to continue our We Need to Talk About series this morning, Uh, so we're going to talk about transgender. So what we're going to do first is we're going to hear from a friend of uh, this church called Andrew Bunt, who is a pastor from King's Church in Hastings, uh, something of an expert on this subject. He's going to do an introduction for us around this debate, then we're going to look at what would a Christian response be. Uh, Some of us maybe uh, would know more than, than others. Um, But we need to talk about this. Uh, Sometimes Christians tend to avoid these uh, debates, these issues at our peril. We need to be in the conversation. Jesus has something to say about this, uh, and uh, and to us, in fact, about how we respond to these things. So uh, let's hear from
1: Andrew. Hello. If we were to ask what are the most prominent topics of discussion and debate at the moment, the topics of gender and transgender would be right near the top of the list. This whole area shot to the forefront of public discussion back in 2015 when Bruce Jenner, who was famous for being a gold medal-winning Olympic athlete, uh, was interviewed by ABC News over in America. And in that interview, he revealed that though biologically male, and though he'd lived the first 60-plus years of his life as a man, he actually believed that he was a woman. He said in that interview, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. And a few months later, Jenna had transitioned to live as a woman and appeared on the front of Vanity Fair magazine in a now really famous uh, cover image and cover article. And, ca- and Jenna now lives life as Caitlyn Jenna. And that one story and some other things were catalysts for a huge and fast-paced change in our culture. Soon there were big debates over public toilets, over pronoun usage, over which prisons transgender prisoners should be sent to. In the UK, right at the moment, the big debate is about what the legal basis should be for changing your gender, basically for getting a new birth certificate that says the opposite gender on it. And the government currently have a consultation going on because they're working out, do they want to change or reform the Gender Recognition Act. And for many of us, these kind of things, these topics, these debates are our insight into this subject. It's about policy and our public toilets and pronouns. But I want to start by helping us understand that actually this whole gender topic is not about pronouns alone. Behind the pronouns, and behind the debates, behind the policies, are people. Real people, many of whom actually are really struggling and really suffering. Let me just introduce you to two people for whom this is a real-life issue. Both of them, as it happens, are called Leo. And as I tell their stories, I'm going to use the names and the pronouns that they would have used at different stages in their story to kind of uh, show respect to them. First of all, let me show you, uh, or let me introduce you to Leo W. At birth, Leo W was named Lily and was biologically female. At an early age, Lily preferred the clothes and the toys that are more traditionally associated with boys, and actually began to express a sense of being a boy. So much so, that at the age of five, Lily took a pair of scissors, chopped off some of her own hair in order to try and make herself look like a boy. And from around that time in her life, she started to live as a boy, under the name Leo. At age 11, Leo made his name legally to be Leo. And at age 12, he started taking puberty blockers, which are medication which will stop the natural onset of puberty so that Leo's body wouldn't develop into an adult, biologically female body. At um, age 16, he started taking testosterone, which would make some changes to his body to make it more masculine. And his intention at eight, 18 is to have sex reassignment surgery to complete that transition that he's begun. And Leo was the um, star of a documentary made by the D- BBC. And in that documentary, you get a little bit of an insight into the genuine experience has had with this and the distress that it's caused him. He talks about hating his body because his body is saying one thing, but actually he feels something else. You see him in a a doctor's clinic with a medical professional, and you see him get genuinely distressed by having to talk about his body and this disconnect between his body and his mind. And In a newspaper article from a similar time to uh, the documentary, Leo was quoted as saying that if he had to live life as a girl, he says, I would probably kill myself. This is a topic about people, not about pronouns. Let me introduce you to another Leo. This is Leo E. Leo E was born Louise and was biologically female. And Louise had a really tough childhood. She had several big operations when she was very young. When she was just four, her mum was diagnosed with cancer, and she then died at the end when Louise was age 11. But she was um, a kid who did well at school. She was active in music and theatre, loved things like baking. But she also struggled with her gender identity. She began to feel that actually though she had been living as a girl, that her body said she was a girl, actually she began to feel she should have been a boy. And as a teenager, she transitioned to live not as Louise, but to live as Leo. And in April last year, 2017, Leo had his first appointment at the NHS Gender Clinic up in London. But sadly, by the very next month, the battle had become just too much for Leo. And he ended his own life in his bedroom. And his family on a kind of memorial webpage have said this, Leo struggled with his social anxiety and relationships and was worried what others thought of him. He finally took his own life rather than spend the rest of his life feeling there was no place in the world for those like himself. The first thing we need to understand is this is about people, not about pronouns. And that's got to shape any response that we make. And the reality is that Uh, The experience of transgender people is being used in a wider conversation in our society. There's an ideology, a way of thinking that people are trying to push forward using the experience of transgender people, which says there is no difference between men and women. Trying to erase all sexual differentiation. And we do need to think about that as well. We need to think, what does God say about that? How do we, if we're a follower of Jesus, respond to that? But even as we think about that, we must never forget the people who are behind those debates and those discussions. What I want to do today is two things. I want to first just briefly help us with a bit of understanding. We need to really know what we're actually talking about if we're going to be able to respond rightly. And then we'll be able to talk about how do we actually respond. And we're going to give three principles, things which in any uh, conversation we're having, any question we're thinking about should always be there as foundational underlying points. So first of all, let's just think about understanding. It's really important that we know what we're talking about, we understand what we mean by transgender. If we don't understand, then we're not going to be able to respond well. Often we actually respond out of ignorance, even actually often we respond out of fear if we don't know what we're talking about. So let's just define a few key terms. First of all, let's define the term transgender. Transgender is a term describing people whose experienced gender identity does not match their biological sex. And within there, there are two things we need to define as well. The first one is biological sex. That's about the identification as male or female based on physical anatomy and genetics. It's basically what the body says. Does the body say that you are male or are you female? But an experienced gender identity is an individual's personal internal sense of being a man or a woman. Or as some people identify, neither or somewhere on a spectrum. That's more about what the mind is saying. What does the person, uh, how do they view themselves? How do they feel themselves to be? And for most people, what the body says and what the mind says align and go together. But for some people, there is a genuine experience where the body says one thing, but the mind is saying something else. There's a a conflict, a tension, a, a disconnect between the two, and that can be really distressing for people. And it's the experience of distress, because of that disconnect, which then leads to the medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, which is the medical term for the experience of transgender. As transgender, it's also worth us pausing and defining another term, which is intersex. This is a different thing, but often gets unhelpfully mixed into the conversation, so it's helpful just to highlight it on its own. Intersex is a term describing people whose biological sex is ambiguous because their physical anatomy, All their genetics do not match what's expected for either male or female. So intersex is purely about what the body is saying, and there being ambiguity there, which is different from transgender where it's about the conflict or the the conversation between what the body says and what the mind says. People who are intersex, some aspect of their physical body makes it not quite clear whether they should be identified as male or female, and yet most intersex people will identify as either male or as female. They don't tend to identify as transgender. It's a far less common experience than being transgender, and it is a different issue. And i highlight it because sometimes it's brought into the wider discussions about ideology of male and female sexual differentiation, but it is different. And because of time, we're not going to be able to tackle it in any detail today, but it's important that we know what we're talking about when we hear these terms.
0: Bun for that, that was very helpful. I hope you found that helpful. And that just kind of outlines uh, what we're talking about this morning. And so how would Christians respond? How should we respond? What does the Bible say about this? What should our position be? What should those attitudes be that Andrew was talking about? Let me start with a few opening comments. Um, The media would portray Christians, and sometimes, sadly, it is an accurate portrayal, as those who deal very badly with people who are different than us. So people who believe different things, people whose preferences are different, um, we're tended to be labelled as bigoted in our response. And sometimes that's been true, and we need to stand against that and find a way through that demonstrates God's love for people who, uh, who are different from us. That's very important. I, I, maybe the truth of that is why often our churches are very one-dimensional. Why the church in this country is largely middle class, that might be a truth in that. That might be a, a secret that we don't want to share, but that could be the truth. Jesus, of course, was known to his enemies, as, as a friend of those who didn't fit the mould. And they labelled him as something with that. They called him a friend of sinners. And we, we have a song about that. And uh, that's a bit of a strange song because that's what his enemies called him. And, and their intention in calling him that was to insult both him and those that he chose to associate with. That's what, he, that's what they wanted to do, to insult them when they called him a friend of sinners. Now, contemporary Christians... We can all too often side with with them. We can we can vilify those who Jesus would have identified closely with and been friends with, and we just need to recognise that. Sometimes that's been true of us, and that's uh, not talking to everyone. But you need to examine your own heart, as I have have and I am doing. Is that true of me? And if that is you, then the appropriate response, dear friends, is repentance. That we would say, yeah, I recognise, that's been me, that's where I've been and I need to stop, turn and go the other way. I need to more closely reflect who Jesus is than who I might be myself. Now about the bigger debate, we do need to just address this very briefly. There is a truth in our society today that we've lost the art of disagreeing graciously and that's no about no doubt part of the issue that we're dealing with. We looked at that a bit last week, didn't we? And we talked about the political scene, about the, particularly about the Brexit debate, and we heard from Marvin Rees. We, we've kind of lost that ability to disagree, to uh, fundamentally disagree on some basic issues, but to remain civil. And I think probably with the ubiquity of social media and the ability to disagree vehemently and strongly, but also largely anonymously, we've lost that ability to sit across a table from someone and disagree and yet remain friends and that is a great loss brothers and sisters and as believers we need to uh, and I think Marvin Reese was helping us with this last week how do we respond to some of these things we need to respond well we need to do this well now in this room there's huge diversity of opinion political and even around the issues we're talking today we need to learn the art the skill of loving one another and disagreeing graciously So there's the bigger debate, that's not really what we're talking about today, but it's worth commenting on it because some of us, that will be in our heads right now. So I wanted to help us a little bit there. What we often lacked is compassion. And I want to look at our response as believers in three ways, in terms of compassion, conviction and comfort. How would we respond to the issue of transgender Compassion, and I'm sure many of us would know this, is, the, is a deep concern for the plight of others, a, a caring for those who are suffering. And this church does well by and large at that. We look around our city and we see that there are those who are suffering, see people whose lives have not gone the way they'd hoped, see people who have been left out, as it were, who the system has failed, and we've done something about it, and we are doing something, we want to do more, and that's a good response, that's compassion in action, that's what it looks like. But here with this transgender debate, we need, to, we need to respond in the same way with compassion. That's where we want to start. But why would we, what, why, why compassion anyway? Where does that come from? We, we kind of have some vague ideas about Jesus being kind to people, but what about who God is? Well, right at the beginning of the book, we see as God reveals himself to Moses, Moses who's up the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, this incredible moment. In the history of mankind, when, when Moses meets with God, the, a, a man who would have been closer to, God, closer to God than anyone until Jesus was born. Moses, who knew God, a friend of God. This is what God said to Moses when he met with him there in Exodus 34. He passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. This is God declaring who he is. Not just an attitude, but who is God? God, compassionate and gracious. This is our God. And so as his followers, as his believers, it's appropriate that this is front and center for us, just as it was as he declares who he is in front of Moses. At the beginning of the book, God says, this is who I am. God's speaking there of himself. Also at the beginning of the book we find some other things written. We find if we go a little bit further back in Genesis 1. A famous verse that we've often talked about. A book of beginnings. Genesis 1, 27. This is the, through the creation. And God says this near the end of his created work. He says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Being made in the image of God was unique across all creation. Nothing else it was said of was made in God's image. It, when it came to making man and making woman, it was said, now this is special. Now, you, now you're seeing something of who God is in this created order. And theologians have known through the centuries that this afforded a particular dignity to humanity. In fact, this is the beginnings of human, human rights law. In, in, in verses like this, and actually, to be fair, to other religions, that's also where that came from. But that's the beginnings of of the human rights laws laws that we enjoy today was in passages like this, made in God's image. And Andrew was talking, this is about people, and it's about people because people are made to image God. It's a very important point. That's where compassion starts, to, to recognize that people around us, although they might be very different, they might be living in ways that we don't understand or who knows what our response might be but this is always true of every human being they're made in the image of God and therefore we afford them a dignity that is in line with how they're created that means for instance that we should listen to people and hear their stories we should be aware of their struggles and not just dismiss them and again that's the accusation often of believers and Christians around the world really. we don't we don't really listen we just tell them what we want them to hear or what we think they need to hear. People made in God's image deserve respect and honor, and they should be listened to. A casual dismissal of people or a lack of willingness to listen to their struggles is incompatible, therefore, with this dignity that they are given by being created in God's image. They are image bearers of God. I want you to learn that. We've started with compassion on purpose because so often as Christians, we start with conviction. We start with, like, the Bible says this. And Tim Keller recently said this about that. He said, if, if your evangelistic strategy is, uh, you're right and I'm wrong, would you like to talk about that? Doesn't go very well, usually. But often that's our position. Jesus also said this in Matthew 25. He was talking about how uh, speaking and acting is reflective of who he is. He says, truly, I'll tell you, whatever you do for the least of one of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And recognizing people are made in God's image means that when we are kind and caring and listen and compassionate to people, Jesus said, you're doing it to me. It's like you're doing it for me. And that's fuel for compassion. We recognize we're serving God when we serve one another and we serve people who are struggling. And we need to remember that. So as I said, coarse joking would be inappropriate if that's our position, if we believe that. That's incompatible with, with compassion. And can I even say this? Even in private, it's a matter of integrity. It would be inappropriate for us to, to, to joke about these things. It's just not right. These are people made in God's image. So we start with compassion need to move on to conviction. What does the Bible say about these things? It would seem on a kind of scanning through the New Testament or the Old Testament, it doesn't seem to say anything about it. But actually, if we dig a bit deeper, we find that it does. And this, as I said, is usually where believers start. Normally, Christians start with conviction and therefore alienate the very people that Jesus would want to reach. And that's why we didn't start with conviction, but we do need to look at what the Bible says. It's interesting that, as we do this, we're going to go back to that verse in Genesis that we started with. So God created mankind, it says in Genesis 1:27, in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. And here is where we learn about God's good plan. It was good, he said. And then he got to this point and he said, it is very good. He was pleased with what he'd made and how he had made it. And so God confirms right there that God made men and he made women and every cell and the DNA in every cell of your body cries the truth of it. That's, that's the truth. Every cell in your body confirms and cries out the truth that, that it's a binary thing that God has made. Men and women. So the Bible confirms that God gives identity and gender to each of us. But our culture has long been arguing that your true self and your truly fulfilled self is not about what is apparent... It's not found in what is apparent, it's found in how you feel. And I guess that kicked off, or at least it found its voice in the 60s with a sexual revolution. It says, if it feels good, do it. And with just free contraception for all, there could be a disconnect between what was apparent, in other words, if you're promiscuous, you're going to have a baby, to actually, it doesn't matter. You can disconnect the mind from the experience and the body from the mind. And that happened there, and it happened big time. And it was as if, well, anything goes. It doesn't matter. Of course, with the Me Too movement, we found a massive swing back, saying it really does matter. The the whole thrust of the 60s is it doesn't matter who you sleep with, it doesn't matter how you do it. And now we're finding, we're reaping the bitter fruit of that decision and that mindset. And so with with the It Feels Good Do It of the 60s has moved on to If It Feels Right, Be It. And there's a continue of that disconnect between the mind and the, and the apparent experience of each one of us. So the only way to be truly happy, says our culture, is to fully embrace everything that you feel. That's how to be fulfilled. That is very much out of kilter with what the Bible says. That is not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says to be fulfilled, and God wants you fulfilled. He wants you to be a fully functioning, fulfilled human being. He, he longs for that. He died for that. But that is to work with the maker's instructions. That is to follow his pattern for living. And that's not just about this issue, not just about transgender, about everything. Each of us needs to face the truth of that. And each of us, every single one of us in our lives, find things. My goodness, I would rather do that, but I choose to do this because I believe it's how God's told me to live in his word. So each of us are living a life where we come sacrificially, as we come... As we've come to the bread and the wine, we've recognised, I I die and take up my cross and follow him daily. That's what Jesus said, that's how you live. In other words, it's not to be fully fulfilled, it's to do everything that I think is right in my head, it's to follow the maker's instructions. That's how to find fulfilment. What we tend to do, and I think it's maybe even more modern from the, the sixties. we think about ourselves as hardware and software. Like, like a phone. Many of you have got your phones. I'm sure all of you have. And if the phone gets old, you throw it away and you get a new one. If the software is out of date, you update it. And the two are disconnected. And all your information exists somewhere else. But actually, that's not us. That's not you. You don't just download a new bunch of software or change the hardware if, you don't, if it doesn't quite work the way you think it should. That's not what human beings are. The Bible teaches that we are an embodied person. Bodies, as with all of creation, matter. It matters that you are born the way you are born. And some of us will struggle with that, but that is a conviction, a truth. Now, there, surprisingly, actually, there are other, uh, other circumstances where people's mind and bodies appear out of sync. And I'm just going to mention two of them. One would be anorexia. In anorexia, your mind is telling you you don't need food. And your body is telling you you absolutely do. And the loving thing to do in that, uh, in that circumstance is to gently and firmly bring the, body into, uh, the mind into line with what the body is saying. That's the right thing to do, and we know that. And many of you may be aware of the struggles in that area. Another area, which is fairly rare to, To be honest, but body dysmorphic disorder or body integrity identity disorder, which is a very rare disease, mostly found in men, uh, or it's not so much a disease, it's a condition, where people would feel that a healthy limb needs to be removed. And they would feel that very, very strongly. Their mind is telling them this leg, usually it's the left leg, usually in men, it needs to be amputated. And what's the kind thing, what's the loving thing to do in that circumstance? It's to bring... The mind into life with what the body is saying, and yet the, it is a cultural reality for us now that with gender dysphoria, we are elevating what the mind says over what the body says uniquely in this body of challenging uh, circumstances that people find themselves in. And the Bible would strongly but gently affirm that the loving response would be to listen to the body in this instance. So that would be conviction. And what about comfort? Well, this is kind of where we started and where we need to finish. We of all people should be in a position to comfort others with the comfort we have been given. In 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 3 and 4, we read this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, there it is again, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can, so that, we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from god that's that's a big reason why god comforts us is for the sake of others that's why you receive something from god yourself our broken lives have been and are being redeemed by jesus those of us who love jesus it's a process it's a moment and it's a process He's working that out through us. It says he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. That doesn't mean we are what we one day will be. It absolutely doesn't mean we're perfect. But it does mean that we are in a relationship with Jesus and he is changing us. And he wants to do that, to reflect something of who he is and what he is like. Lost and helpless, Jesus came to find us and bring us to himself. He has made sinful rebels sons and daughters. You have received that kind of comfort from God. You've received it through the gospel. You've become heirs of a divine inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade, which means that your eternal security is in him and is absolute. It can't be taken from you. This is comfort to the world. And you're supposed to share that with other people. We're supposed to share that with others. And it says there in the verse, comfort others with the comfort you've received. We have ways of receiving this comfort. We have God's word. We have his Holy Spirit. We have each other. We have a church, a community who would love and care for one another. And we should share this. All of those things should be shared with the city and with neighbours, friends and family, with people who are experiencing challenging transgender issues for themselves. The comfort of God is for them too. And so how? How would we do it how would we respond, what should we do? Well the church, this church should be a welcoming place for transgender people because they need Jesus like you need Jesus, exactly the same. There's no difference at all. You absolutely, you need Jesus today and so do they and so does everybody. And so this is to be a welcoming place for people with transgender, for transgender people and so as I've said before, there's no room for jokes, not even in private. It's inappropriate. It will be wrong. It's open arms and listen. And what, that's what compassion does. And that's my second point. Compassion will listen to people. That's what we should do. If you're wondering, how do I, what, what should I do? Well, you should listen. Hear a story. Hear the struggle. Share and be compassionate in the moment. And then this is how the third thing we should do in in response should be, we should be prepared to introduce everyone to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate source of comfort. The Prince of Peace himself is willing to come to all and that's really where we started. That's why Jesus was insulted with the term, oh you're just a friend of sinners. Why? Because he brought comfort to those who no one else would associate with. Here's a quote from Andrew Walker. It's all Andrews this morning. Andrew Walker uh, wrote this book, God and the Transgender Debate. What does the Bible actually say about gender identity? He says this, what would Jesus do? He would listen to us and he would love us. And when he disagreed with us, he would always and only, it would always and only be out of compassion, never oppression. There is no hurting person he would mock or shun or insult or sneer at. He is so determined to pursue what is best for all of us that he died, excluded, mocked, and rejected to secure it. Now let's just finish with an instant in the life of Jesus. And we see, we see compassion, we see conviction, and we see comfort in this story. And I'll leave you to work out to what measure each one is expressed. It's found in John chapter eight. It's a famous story. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives And at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before a group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commands that we should stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger and they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said let any one of you without sin be the first to throw a stone he stopped and bent down and wrote on the ground at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left the woman was still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her women, where are they? has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. What you find in that story is those three things. You find compassion and conviction and comfort all in the story. And I leave it for you to work out at what measure each is expressed in that story of Jesus and the woman. Father, we thank you that you do speak to us about all areas of life. And Father, we... But we want to confess that we've not, many of us, Lord, maybe we want to do it now. Lord, we just confess we've not done well. Yeah. Father, please forgive us. Forgive us when we treated people that are made in your image less than you would have us. Lord Jesus, help us, Lord God. We want to be those who are welcoming, who want to introduce people to you, Lord Jesus, knowing that you are able and we are not. Father, be with us, we pray. Amen.